Um, if you do have a Bible, actually, there's going to be a lot of texts today. Texts today you have to enunciate when you preach. Um, and so it would be actually hard to flip around. Uh, but if you're fast, I'll, I'll give you a second with each text. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It'll, uh, all the texts will be on the screen. Um, our main text is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We're in a series in Exodus, and we have come to the Ten Commandments, and we are going through them uh, one by one. Um, that might seem curious to some, because we may kind of see uh, God's law as being somehow contrary uh, to, to like who we're supposed to be in Jesus and God's grace and love. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 through 10, let's look at that real quick. Romans 13, 9 through 10, Paul says this. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. Those are some of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Similarly, Jesus says, uh, you know, when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sort of a, a summary. And we can kind of make a mistake and say, well, see, we don't need to worry about, like, the Ten Commandments. Love God, love others. It's as simple as that. True. And we also see here the heart of the law, according to Paul, is love, right? But if we ask, well, what does it mean, though? What does it mean to, to love God and love other, others? You have to start unsummarizing, right? And so we're back to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not ten things you do well enough to be saved. It's not what they were ever meant to be. They're also not ten things you do so that God blesses your life. That's not what they're for. They are God's instruction on how we're to live lives of love, okay? How to walk in love. And um, our, uh, let's, read our, let's read the third commandment, which is where we are today, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and then we'll pray. It says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we are hearing your, your word, hearing part of your law, that we would have ears to hear it that we would not mishear it, that instead it would inspire us to more and more live lives of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some of you guys are old enough to remember the Yugoslavian Civil War. Now, this is a cheery start to a sermon, I realize. Some of you remember, some of you don't know. But in 1993, when the, the former Republic of Yugoslavia broke up, there was like a, a three-way civil war. It was bad. And uh, part of the worst of it was in what is now Bosnia. And the, the Serb military uh, was carrying out what they called an ethnic cleansing, which still sounds bad to me, but it was supposed to be like a nicer way to say genocide. Okay? And the things that they were doing as they were going through Bosnia would have made the Nazis say, well, what are you doing? Because in all seriousness... The, the not, I mean, I'm Jewish, so you know how I feel about Nazis, but <laughs> Nazis would have been like, guys, this is excessive. 
All right, it was that bad. Look it up. I'm not going to go into details because part of the strategy of the Serb military was to instill terror through all sorts of horrific torture. I want to uh, show you guys a picture, not, not of anything bad, um, but of one of those Serb military units on that offensive through Bosnia. These guys in an uh, armored vehicle of some kind. That's, that's called radio frequency static. I'm going to switch mics. Better? Okay, great. We're going to hope that that uh, static goes away. If not, I'll just have to shout. Okay, so you see this guy holding up these three fingers? That's not accidental. That's not just like I'm waving. That is the traditional Serb military salute. Does anybody know what it's called? It's called the Trinity salute. It's three fingers to signify Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Name of God on his hand while he's rolling through Bosnia committing horrific acts that are so contrary to the heart of God it, it, it defies belief, right? But he's throwing up the name of God and this is what it means to be like a Christian nation in this instance, right? It goes no further than the name because the deeds that they're doing are very, very far, very ill-suited to the name that they're putting up. Now, that's all grotesque to us, right? Like, how could you? But this is something that happens again and again. The, the name of God gets used as just a surface symbol with no substance underneath. You could think of like a, a, a plumber with a fish logo, you know, it throws out, you know, this means Jesus. But in terms of ethical practices, quality workmanship, not there, right? It's, uh, it's R. Kelly's gospel record. You know? it's, like, it's like, yeah, singing about Jesus, singing great tunes. You should, uh, I guess we don't listen to it, but it is good, right? Name in the name of Jesus all over the place. That theology is not that bad, actually. But the life underneath it, oh my goodness. Talk about surface, not substance. It's me. I get up here and I preach, a, preach about God's grace and love and then go out and am judgmental or harsh, unforgiving. I, I know how to talk the talk, the surface, talk about Jesus and all that, but then the, sometimes the life underneath doesn't match it. When we, when we take the name of God, when we name the name of God, when we claim it for ourselves, but there's no substance. There's no reality to it. it it's, kind of, um, it's kind of like if you, you were to take a, a jar of pickles and put a... I hate pickles, by the way, so this is why this, this works for me. If you were to take a jar of pickles and like slap a peanut butter label on it, it's telling a lie about peanut butter, right? The contents don't match the label. You see what I'm saying? It's surface, not substance. The third commandment, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is not mainly about speaking the name of God. 
Okay, we're going to see it's something much more than that. Now, as we have been uh, throughout, did I put the dartboard slide in? I did it. I remember the dartboard. Okay, so we're thinking about the, uh, the Ten Commandments using the analogy uh, that, that came from my friend and mentor, Bill Connors, he came up with this, this image of a dartboard. Okay, so taking the name of the Lord in vain is to break the commandment. But as we just read in Romans, to fulfill it is, is love, right? So, and then there's a range between love and you're so far away from love that you break it, of, of keeping it. So that's how we're going to go through the commandment today. What does it mean to break it? What does it mean to keep it? What does it mean to fulfill it in love? Okay, so before we proceed, uh, when we look at Exodus 27, there's some words in there that we may not be sure what they mean. For instance, take, name, and vain. Three kind of key terms in this verse. So let's define them. So this, you shall not take the name of the Lord. And of course, that caps, L-O-R-D, is Yahweh there. That's the Hebrew word. So take, we, we often think this means to speak. Don't speak it uh, in vain. What's interesting here, put on your nerd hats and your nerd ear goggles. I don't know. Um, or as we're starting to say now in around the Morjinsky house, give in to the dork side. Um, so the, the Hebrew word nasah is the word that's there for take. It's one of, the, one of the most flexible. There's a really wide range of meanings. It's used almost 700 times in the Old Testament. It can mean to say, right, to take something on your lips or, or to sing. Uh, it can also mean to pick something up and carry it could also mean to bear like an emotional burden. It means a lot of things. And I don't believe it is being used for speak here. And here's why. There are many Hebrew verbs that mean speak and only speak. And if the main concern of the third commandment was saying God's name, then one of those words would have worked better, not such a broad word. Instead, to take God's name, to take the Lord's name, it's, it's more of a sense of like in the Olympics. When you're an Olympic athlete, right, you take the name of your country with you, whether it's, you know, it says Uganda on your, your, on your jersey or, or you know, um, China or what have you, right? You're bearing that name. And in the Olympics, it's not just your, your athletic accomplishments that, that bear on that name but also like your conduct in the Olympic Village. You want to you be a good representative because you're not just representing you, you are bearing the name of your nation. Does that make sense? So to, to take the name of God, it means it, 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 we're team Yahweh, okay? It says Yahweh on your shirt, all right? That's what it means to take the name of God. Now, name also, it doesn't just refer to the word. In the ancient world, in the Old Testament, Someone's name is like the essence of that person. We still have this in our culture to some extent. Right? If somebody starts talking trash about Serena Williams, there's going to be many of you who say, that's Serena Williams, put some respect on her name. Right? Yeah, I'm getting some mm-hmms. I was like, yeah, don't. Just don't disrespect Serena. And, and is it the name that you're worried about? No, it's respecting her. Right? So when it says, don't take the name 
It's not just talking about the word. It's talking about God. It's a stand-in for God's essence. Make sense? And then lastly, vain. What does that mean? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The, the, the idea behind that word vain is that it's, it's hollow. It's to take it lightly. It, it's, it's kind of like the image of, um, you know, at Easter, there's those solid chocolate bunnies. And those are the good ones, even though they're smaller, right? They're solid. The chocolate is more high quality. It's more satisfying to bite into it. And then we know that there's the hollow chocolate bunnies who look more impressive on the outside, right? But you bite into that sucker and it's, "Ah, I've been deceived. The inside is not like the outside. There's nothing in it. It's all surface, no substance. That's what vain means here. So you could... You could translate this verse, kind of putting it in your own words, don't take God lightly. Don't treat God like he's nothing. Don't walk around saying, I belong to Yahweh, where there's no substance under the surface. Is that making sense? Right? So, so the, the Serb salute, right? This is just, this is taking the name. This is throwing up the name, and there is no life substance underneath it. That's what it means to break. It's to treat God lightly, to treat God like he's nothing. Now, does that include using God's name as a cuss? Of course it does. Don't use God's name as a cuss. That's not showing reverence and respect. That's treating God like he's nothing. But interestingly, uh, the violations of this commandment in scripture, it's not typically like someone committing blasphemy. Instead, it's when when people are using God's name for their own advantage. Jeremiah uh, 14, 14 says this. The Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. So we say they're using my name. But I didn't send them and I didn't speak to them. They are treating God what? Like he's nothing. They're going to say the Lord says when the Lord didn't say. Okay? That is treating God lightly, using God's name for your own interest. Also, when there is no substance under the surface. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Okay, so when it's all lip service, when it's all surface and no substance, that's treating God lightly. That's actually breaking the third commandment. Uh, A famous example of this, and this might offend some of you guys. Okay, let it. That's fine. Uh, you know, when, uh, when President Trump, and if you're a Trump voter, it's fine. Nope, nope, I'm not for him or against him. Um, but, you know, there's that famous picture where he's posing with a Bible in front of a church. Nothing wrong with a Bible in a church, but let's be honest. It's not his Bible. It's a Bible he does not own, and it's a Bible he does not read. And he's standing in front of a church that he did not go to. It was just a show to get votes. It's using Christ's name for self-interest, and there's no reality underneath it. He's not alone, right? 
Um, AOC has done this, John McCain has done this, Richard Nixon did this quite a bit. Uh, the Clintons do this, right? This, this, is, this is a phenomenon among American politicians where they're not walking with the Lord, they don't mean it, but they'll strike the pose. They'll use the name of God to get themselves Christian votes. That is treating God lightly. That is a breach of the third commandment. So for us, if you're running for office, <laughs> if you're going to say, no, you're not. Actually, some of you might run for office and don't do that. <laughs> not run for office, but pose in front of the church. It's just, come on. So saying God's name carelessly or saying it blasphemously, using Christ's name as a cuss, that sort of thing would clearly be a violation. But also using God for our own self-interest. You ever heard this one? God told me. <laughs> right? So there's a disagreement, like a group of leaders trying to make a decision. Let's pray. God told me I was right all along. Okay? That's... Now, maybe God did tell somebody. But I've never heard God tell somebody that they were wrong all along. You ever notice that? So kind of using God to up your power in a certain situation is to, is to take God lightly, right? To say, thus says the Lord, when the Lord didn't say thus. It's to build your brand using Bible verses on social media. Nothing wrong with Bible verses on social media, but if, if the, the goal there is to up you know, your followers or whatever... That is treating God lightly. It's also to be surface without substance. It's to kind of like, I'm good at this. I can make people think I'm really caring and loving. But I'm, you know, not <laughs> all the time. There's a certain amount of hypocrisy of hollow chocolate bunny in all of us, right? It's, uh, this also applies like as a community, you know? If it's all talk and there's no, there's no substance underneath it, that's treating God, like, treating God lightly. Now, I want to be clear about something because some of you guys are squirming. Our observance of the Ten Commandments is not how we get saved. Christ dying on the cross for us. Right? So even if we are in violation, we all are in violation of literally all Ten Commandments, Christ still died to forgive those sins. Okay? So if you're like, oh, I know it. I'm so dead. <laughs> okay? Right? So this is, not about, this is not about how we get saved. This is about how we live lives of love. And so if we're recognizing that we're guilty of some of this hollow chocolate bunniness of this surface without substance, the thing that we do is, is we repent. We say, Lord, change my heart so that I can get off the wall and on the dartboard. Okay? And what does it look like to get on the dartboard? What does it look like to keep it? Well, it looks like honoring God. Okay? The, I love this. The, the word glory in Hebrew, it, it's kabod, and it means heavy. Instead of treating God lightly, treat him like he's heavy. That's the idea. And so to speak God's name with respect. Psalm 29.2 says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It's to speak God's name with respect. But it's also 
to live for God's glory, right? The, the life matches the profession. Col- Colossians 3.17 says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It, it, it's saying, it's not just that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm making mac and cheese for my kids, and I'm going to say this is in the name of Jesus and not mean it. You can make mac and cheese in the name of the Lord for your kids. That is appropriate. All of life to be lived before God. But it's not just lip service, right? There is heart commitment and life reality behind it. That's living for God's glory. And also, like the substance of one's life. Look at Proverbs 14.31. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Did you hear that? The oppression of the poor is the same as blaspheming God, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So our ethical life, how we treat others, the substance of our deeds is part of how we show regard and honor for the name of God. It says Team Yahweh on the front of the jersey, right? And you came to play. There's substance there. That's honoring God. I um, once got to stand in the ancient city of Smyrna, which is now in, in Turkey. And when I was there, you know, it was, it was one of those weird things to think. Because there was a, a, a famous event that happened there. There was a guy named Polycarp who was bishop of Smyrna. This was uh, late 2nd century, early church. Time when the church was severely persecuted. And, and to be a Christian, especially a Christian leader, was to, if you were caught, bid life adieu. And so Polycarp was found guilty of being a Christian and, uh, and was sentenced to execution. And the way that they were going to do this is one text says uh, boiled in a pot, another burned at the stake. They both amount to the same thing, but in an arena. Okay? Now, Polycarp was 86 years old. And in the ancient world, living to 86, you were, you were something like a wizard or something like that. It was just kind of unheard of. And and so out comes Polycarp before this jeering crowd. And, and when the, the Roman official who saw him uh, and saw how old he was. Now, something about the Romans, they, they, were, they had a general disregard for life, but they had great respect for the old, for age. And so when he saw how old Polycarp was, he's like, I don't want to put this guy to death. And so he goes to Polycarp. He says, hey, Polycarp, but please, out of, out of reverence for your years... You know, kind of give me a way out of this. All you have to do is denounce the atheists. Now, the Romans called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in Zeus and so forth. And so Polycarp looks up, at, we're told, Polycarp looks up at the jeering crowd and says, I denounce the atheists. Clever. And the, the Roman official sees what he did. He's like, okay, cute. He says, no, I need you to denounce the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the text doesn't say, but uh, I can imagine Polycarp is like, I'm 86. I lived a good long time. But what it is recorded, I'm saying, he said, he said, 86 years I have served Jesus. He has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme my God and my Savior now? So that's kind of the opposite of using God's name to your advantage, isn't it? Even when it's to a great disadvantage, Polycarp chose to honor God's name. 
Right? That's, that's keeping the third commandment in how we speak. Take care of God's name. We don't use it frivolously. It's also to ask, like, hey, how am I making decisions? When I make life decisions, whether it's how I spend my money, what I'm going to do for work, or, or what have you, am I asking myself the question, is this actually honoring to God? It's also to say, I want to be the solid chocolate bunny. I want to live with substance. That I'm not just going to have a framed verse in my house that says, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We actually try to serve the Lord. We fail, but there is a real heart commitment there. It means, hey, I'm not going to perform, you know, a good religious game to make people think well of me. I'm actually going to live the life. Now, I want to be clear about something. A lot of the time we think, Like when I first became a Christian, I was told that, uh, you know, you don't want people to see your struggles and faults because that would be a bad witness. Anyone ever hear that? Little, 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 a small one. Okay. So think about this. The way I'm going to live a substantive and authentic Christian life is by pretending I'm perfect. (laughs) Think about that for two seconds. What's the gospel? I'm perfect and God loves me so much because I'm perfect. I'm so perfect, I I earn eternal... Is that the gospel? No. The gospel is, I am a hopeless sinner who deserves hell except that God loves me and Jesus died for me. So really to live an authentic, substantive, solid chocolate bunny Christian life is that when I do sin, which is all the time, especially when I sin against someone else, I take ownership. I confess, I repent, I ask for forgiveness, I make restitution. That's that's how you really honor God. That's what it means to to live a life of substance as a Christian, not to pretend perfection, because you're not fooling anybody. For more than 10 minutes, right? People have been around you, they know. But instead, if you're someone who will humbly ask for forgiveness, that is a much better representation of life, life uh, living as a child of God. You see what I'm saying? All right. So what's the bullseye? What is it to fulfill? Can we get the, the dartboard again? So we talked breaking is to treat God lightly. Keeping is to honor God. What is, what is hitting the bullseye? Well, to hit the bullseye is to hallow God's name. I'm using an old-timey word. I will define it. To hallow God's name. Those of you who know the King James Lord's Prayer have heard this word. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Anyone ever heard that word defined, hallowed? I'm really building it up, aren't I? It's good. Trust me. Hallowed means cause your name to cause something to be recognized as holy to cause something to be recognized as holy when jesus is praying that god's name would be hallowed he's praying that people would recognize god's name as holy meaning that there would be people who do not currently regard god's name as holy who would begin to does that make sense 
So to hallow God's name is not just that you honor it, but that, uh, but that the way that you live gives glory. You take, you know, you're the solid chocolate bunny and it results in others recognizing that God's name is holy and giving praise to God. Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 tells us the apex of this, the ultimate of this is Jesus. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that's everybody, right? Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. The net result at the end of history of the life of Jesus is that all people are going to give glory to the name of God. Okay? That is fulfilling it in love. And, and think about this. Even historically, we can observe this. Real quick. Before the life of Jesus, let's say around 0 AD, the year 0, where was the name of God praised? It was just the leftover state of what was once Israel and what was once Judah, Judea. Just this little place. And then a few diaspora Jewish communities, right? It's a very small fraction of the known world and, and of course, wasn't touching the rest of the world. After the life of Jesus, what happens? The worship of the one true God goes from this little tiny rump state and a few diaspora communities to the whole Roman Empire. And then in the, just the last 500 years, now we can look and see that on every continent, in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, there are people who worship the one true God. Right? Like, before and after the life of Jesus is the turning point. Making sense? So Jesus is the ultimate in fulfilling the third commandment. He hallowed God's name. Now, we are never going to attain what Jesus did. That's for him alone. But that doesn't mean we don't aim to hallow God's name, right? That doesn't mean we don't aim to live in such a way, a life of integrity, where we don't treat God lightly, but, but treat God with, with, with great reverence, that it actually has an effect on others. I remember when I was first a Christian, like just kind of checking out the faith. I did not have a whole lot of like good examples around. <laughs> uh, the church that I had first kind of heard about Jesus in, I never met, I was, I was the, like playing bass in the band. That's how I became a Christian. And um, I never met any of the leaders or any of the people there. Like no one ever came over and said, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? And I was just kind of there lurking and playing bass. <laughs> and also I went to high school with a lot of the uh, youth in the congregation and I knew what they were up to. And I was like, they don't really seem to believe what they say they believe. You know what I mean? But then I met this young man, high school student named Jason. Jason Carson, who I actually played in a, a band for a long time with. And he was the first person I ever saw who he was like so excited to go to worship. And he would be like, hey, let's go pray. And we would go pray. And he was just cracking his Bible. And he wasn't perfect, didn't pretend to be. But, you know, if he sinned against you, he would actually ask for forgiveness, right? He was actually trying to 
uh, to live a life that, that God said is good. He was the first one I saw who really walked what he talked. And when I saw that, I said, oh, well, that's how I want to follow Jesus, right? And, and it, was, it was the first really important example. He led, he led me to give honor to God. He hallowed God's name. Do you see? The way that he lived, it wasn't his talk, it was his walk. And when I saw that, I wanted to, I wanted to know God like that. As our lives begin to display God working in them, when we start to become the solid chocolate bunny, right? When you live with real compassion, you know, when you start seeing with the eyes of God and you don't see just, oh, look at this person, get your act together. But you see with compassion, you see them the way God sees them? That's your outlook on the world? And that's what you go around breathing out? Compassion? It's inspiring to people. Right? It's inspiring to other people who, who know God, to see someone who actually cares. When we live with sincerity, we admit our struggles. You know? But we're also endeavoring to, like, live a, live a life that God says is good. Like it, it inspires others. As a community, the more each of us take to heart, like, hey, I want to actually be a living example of the gospel, the more it spurs on one another so that we can be a community that's not the hollow bunny. See what I'm saying? When you show up for people in their worst moments, Right? That's, that's a, that's a undertaught part of discipleship, man. Somebody goes through a divorce. Someone goes through a bereavement. Someone gets cancer, something like that. Do you know what happens nine times out of 10? Everyone scatters from them. If you hear about someone going through something like that and they have to shoo you away from their doorstep, <laughs> Like that, that is what it is to hallow God's name, to take, to take life before God so seriously, to have such reverence for God's name that you begin and we begin as a community to really reflect the character of God, right? Like God will do things. God will hallow his name. Do you know how we're not going to get to that point? Guilt. I found it to be a temporarily effective motivator. <laughs> you know what's actually going to get us off the wall, onto the board, and, and graze in the bullseye at least? It's to see God's worth. That is what is going to spur us on to greater reverence for God. It's to see God's worth. I want to show you guys something real quick. I want to show you a headstone. I hope you can read it. Can everybody read it? For those of you at the back who can't read it, it says, Sarah Lincoln, wife of Aaron Grigsby, born February 10, 1807, died January 20th, 1828. Okay. Does anybody feel like honoring Sarah Lincoln Grigsby at this point? No, right? Don't know anything about it. 
Well, I'll try and fill you in here. This is the older sister of uh, someone you have heard of, Abraham Lincoln. Any honor yet? No. Okay. We may not know this, but when Abraham Lincoln was eight years old and his older sister Sarah was 11, their mother died. Now, they lived in a little shack in the back backwoods of Indiana. And a, a place that Abraham Lincoln described as a place where the bears would eat the chickens and the, he called it the panther would scream in the night. I think it was, it was a, a mountain lion, right outside your window, right? Doing its mountain lion thing, that kind of place. After their mother died, their father went to Kentucky to find a new wife and he left them alone for three months. Sarah Lincoln was left in charge of her and her brother. She had to hunt, she had to gather, she had to cook, she had to light the fires, she had to protect them from danger. When they came back and then their, their new stepmom was there, she, she described the children as, as looking feral, but alive. Okay? There's one reason we had an Abraham Lincoln. Sarah Lincoln. Can you imagine what that means as an 11-year-old girl for that to be your responsibility? Keep your little brother alive for three months? I mean, this is one of the most heroic deeds I've ever heard of. Who wants to build her a statue now, y'all? You see, when you actually get to know something about somebody, you see their worth. And when you see their worth... You want to honor them, correct? Like, let's start a committee, the Sarah Lincoln Statue Committee. Come on. The more that we see God's worth, the more that we know God and see his worth, the more we are going to respond, the more we are going to live lives that honor God and take God seriously. God is creator. Some of you guys are in the sciences. The more that you learn about the natural world, Right? And you reflect that this is, this is the work of God's hand. The result is worship. God is Father. He's the one who made us. Who made us with dignity. Who cares for us. Provides for our needs. Who gave us all of creation for our joy. Who wants to be in relationship with us. Who in fact, even as our Redeemer when we were running away from him, when we were insulting him, and I still do things as a pastor to betray the fact, to, to treat God like he's nothing, right? Even though we do that, any human being, if they were treated the way we treat God, would be enraged, would want nothing to do. And what does he do instead? He went to a cross for us calls to us every day, forgives us every day. The more that we know God, the more that we see God's worth, the more we are going to honor him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would as a community honor you, that grace and peace would be not a place of pretended perfection, but a place where we lay open our need for Jesus where we lay open our struggles to believe. 
where we are truly known and truly know, where we walk what we talk, that it isn't just surface without substance. We know that we cannot get there on our own. I pray that you would lead us further up and further in so that we see the great worth of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.